Welcome to the new Cyber Frontier, bringing you the latest news and initiatives that focus on the development of cybersecurity economics. You don't have to be a computer or cybersecurity expert to get plugged in. Your host brings it straightforward, asks the tough questions, and brings the cyber world to a level of understanding for everyone. You can find us on the web at www.newcyberfrontier.com. Now join our host as he introduces the topic for today's New Cyber Frontier. Welcome to today's episode of New Cyber Frontier. Today, we're going to be talking with Jim Liu, a PhD, Associate Professor at Johns Hopkins University, uh, and the co-founder of SOCAT, Machine Learning and Blockchain. Um, so, uh, Professor Liu uh, is on this show, which we are expanding our series, another part of our series on IEEE Blockchain for Healthcare and AI. Uh, welcome, Professor Liu. How are you doing? Christopher, thank you very much. Um, it's a pleasure and honor to be here. Always happy to, you know, help the IEEE community, especially, you know, the folks over there in Colorado and on the West Coast. So, yeah, this is great. You know, um, having, having a good time here in Baltimore. Baltimore, <laughs> huh? That's where you hail from? Yeah, we're just outside of Baltimore. And, um, you know, we try to be pretty active in the ecosystem and the, the Baltimore blockchain uh, system and also down in DC mm-hmm. with uh, the government blockchain association. And then, you know, try to be a little bit more uh, helpful in terms of educating the folks down in, in DC about, you know, blockchain technology and sort of, you know, what is the hope and what is the hype and, and helping them, you know, discern where to put the rails and, you know, push back if they're getting a little bit, you know, too, um, too restrictive for entrepreneurs to go out there and, and try to create some value add with the blockchain technology. Yeah, I see you have cryptos and blockchain behind you on your your uh, your backdrop there. Yep, there it is. Um, so definitely an enthusiast here. Uh, and you teach at uh, Johns Hopkins. You teach blockchain and crypto. That's correct. Yeah, that's correct. The cryptos and blockchains class is kind of a fun story. Um, in 2017, I proposed the class. It was supposed to be called Bitcoins, Cryptos, and Blockchains. And I got yelled at <laughs> and they said, you know, at the time, Jamie Dimon was, didn't have very you know, nice words about crypto. So uh, they mm-hmm. told me just to call it blockchains. So the first course was called blockchains. And then, you know, over time, as cryptos became a little bit more mainstream, you know, they allowed me to put the cryptos <laughs> title in. And I'm hoping <laughs> eventually I'll, I'll be able to put the full title Bitcoins and cryptos and blockchains. But, you know, students are super duper excited. Uh, we have like about 80 students and, you know, the class is always, you know, packed to the maximum capacity. Um, interestingly enough, um, there's a couple of guys in the class, uh, you know, who are managing over $10 million in cryptos already. And um, I, I wish I could say that they learned it from me, but, you know, that's not true. <laughs> they sort of <laughs> accumulated the knowledge and, you know, the success on their own. But yeah, it's, it's a really exciting class. We uh, try to have guest speakers. Uh, we had Mike uh, Peckham, who was the CFO of HHS. He talked a little bit about some of the, the stuff that HHS was doing with blockchains. Um, we've also had like Joe Lubin and Anthony Scaramucci and you know um, Alex Machinsky uh, come in and share. Um, so you know the classes, you know, not surprisingly on the East Coast focused a little bit more on the finance side of cryptos. Mm-hmm. But you know, at the same time, you know, being at Johns Hopkins ecosystem. We definitely try to incorporate a lot of the healthcare components of, of blockchains and, you know, uh, highlight 
organizations and entrepreneurs who are using it in an effective manner. Interesting. So um, cryptos, blockchains, uh, we've changed a lot of focus to distributed ledger to almost get away from the, the cryptocurrency buzz. You don't you don't go that far, though, huh? Cryptos are, you know, it depends on who you talk to, right? And it has a kind of negative connotation. I, I totally get it. And, you know, 2017, the ICO craze kind of, you know, left everybody uh, sort of you know, very, very um, hesitant. And they're very skeptical, you know, going forward. But I don't think that that was a good experience for our community, our industry. However, now people are much more sort of um, careful about, you know, taking a look at these projects and really understanding the team. So um, you, you remember the dot-com craze, <laughs> like in 99, it flushed everyone out. And then now that afterwards, the technology companies had to sort of really justify their business model, right? So, I, I, you know, we're, we're seeing something like that happening. And I think the projects that are coming down the pipeline, you know, we mentioned a little bit, some of them, Solano and Algorand and some of these newer projects, they're really, really interesting. And I think they're much better fleshed out. And um, I think people are kicking the tires on these platforms and they're interacting with them to see, you know, if they believe before they start buying uh, some of the tokens or, you know, the coins. Um, I think that's where we're at right now. Institutional investors are, you know, clearly um, interested and, you know, um, taking nibbles at it through the ETF project uh, products that are coming out on the market. It seems like every day. Um, And also, you know, um, ARC, uh, Kathy Wood is really talking up and explaining sort of how this is an interesting sort of occurrence from um, a larger picture investment side, right? Um, you know, I, I try to explain it to students kind of like email, right? <laughs> when email first came out in 91, 92, you know, did we know where it was going to go? No. Did we know that Amazon and Google and Facebook were going to be the winners? I don't think so, right? Yeah. And so now we're at that point where we can push around some digital value. Um, and, you know, where is it going to go? We don't really know, but, you know, we've seen the transition of Web 1.0 and Web 2.0 and now in Web 3.0. Web 2.0, we know what the business model that worked is Facebook's business model, which is a centralized player. And, you know, the value goes to the uh, shareholders in Facebook and you provide your data for free, but it's not really for free because they're monetizing your eyeballs, right? And, and so um, now we're in Web 3.0 where the value is going to probably go to the network, right? Um, the business model, I don't think the winning business model has been found yet. And I, I think that's where the opportunities are, right? Yeah. Well, let's uh, take a break. Hard. Hear from yes. our sponsors. We'll be right back. We want to unpack that some more. BlockFrame technology offers next-generation blockchain-managed trust and security. Unique non-fungible tokens are used to secure software bills of materials to provide data quality and security for every transaction in your supply chain. Deploy advanced peer-to-peer product security, scale zero trust capability to millions of IoT devices, allow vendor tracking and accountability, and rapidly reset from compromise. Unchangeable, time-sequenced blockchain data provides next-generation security using machine learning trust algorithms and audit analytics. Start securing your supply chain today by contacting BlockFrame at www.blockframetech.com. Welcome back to New Cyber Frontier. On today, talking to Professor Jim Liu uh, of Johns Hopkins University and uh, about, uh, you know, I can definitely hear his excitement about crypto bubbling. We had to pull him back for a sponsor break there. Um, <laughs> but in uh, your class, you said is well, well attended. You have, you know, 60 people or so. 
uh, and you're in the right area as well. You said with the you know financial industry, um, and we're talking about kind of the generations there uh, about you know the web having a couple generations and the centralized being the the uh, the second. What do you think is the next generation for uh, blockchain? I call it distributed ledger. Absolutely. So you know. We've seen uh, Bitcoins come out there and that network works really well for the users and the economics works well for the miners, right? However, you know, the mining is, uh, you know, people argue that it's using all this electricity and it's a bad thing for the environment. So, you know, we have the next version, which was Ethereum with the smart contracts, which was wonderful contribution. And, you know, that, that network is moving from proof of work to proof of stake, you know, and, and what I think it's important to understand is that, you know, entrepreneurs such as yourself, right, and, and, and engineers such as yourself, professors are coming out with the better, the better sort of network uh, structure, right? And I think what um, Vitalik contributed with the trilemma, right? So, you know, how do you have decentralization and security and scalability? And, and, and people were trying to solve that in particular, you know, Gavin Woods, a, a polygon, a, a, a polka dot, he, he wanted to solve that faster. And so he left. Um, you know, there's also um, Charles Hopkins from Cardano left to also solve this. So there are people who are trying to solve this now. You know, Sol- Solana claims to have kind of solved this <laughs> with their, you know, thousands of transactions per second. I, I know that's that that term's a little bit loaded, right? Um, mm-hmm. But there's also, you know, on the East Coast, MIT professor Al- Algorand is also trying to solve this. And w- what I think is really interesting is, you know, the evolution from Bitcoins to, let's say, the smart contract platforms. Uh, and then to the next step, which is going to be uh, the non-fungible tokens, right? And, and, and I take the view that the market's pretty efficient, and you know the technology that's winning out. There's a demand for that technology, and at the end of the day, they want to use the technology to do something, right? And so the artists want to use the NFT in order to post up their art and sell their art, and because of we had because of COVID, they couldn't have that opportunity, right? Yeah. And, and so those platforms that can, you know, easily allow them to post up their art, not charge so much in terms of gas fees, are going to win out because there's a huge demand for that, and we're so seeing that. that. Yeah, yes. that, that's. A, I mean, you had mentioned that, and I just want to jump in there. Large gas fees, energy being expanded. You know, I saw just in the last year, just in 2021, the amount of energy being spent on Bitcoin alone has tripled. Um, it sounds, whenever something like that happens, it screams internet bubble. You know, we tripled in stock value. We tripled in everything. Everybody got behind it and that's when it collapsed. What, what is the, what's the thought here? Absolutely. I, I have some friends, uh, you know, going overseas and setting up these mining rigs to mine Bitcoins. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, you, you know, um, is it bubbly? Absolutely. Are we going to, you know, boom and bust? Absolutely. It's going to be really rocky to get where we need to go, right? Um, it's not the volatility on Bitcoins is just out of control compared to the volatilities on typical stocks and stock indices, mm-hmm. right? And without a doubt, um, you know, and, and will we have some a lot of bumps in the road and a lot of pullbacks, 20, 30%? Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll, we'll, we'll have that. So, you know, it's not going to be a smooth sailing sort of ride there. I think um, we're, we're going to see um, it's not for the faint of heart. But neither is emerging technology, I would argue, right? I mean, you know, you wouldn't sort of stop the technology development of, you know, quantum computers because you're scared of what's going to happen, right? So it's the same thing, right? Yep. I mean, you know, um, the other thing that I, I kind of want to talk a little bit about and maybe wrap it back into um, blockchains and healthcare is sort of this notion of the non-fungible token, right? 
And, and you know, can we sort of create uh, some kind of NFT for our healthcare record? And the answer is yes, we could, right? <laughs> so associated to my wallet is all my records and each of them is a piece of art and whatever it is that I own them. And I give people rights to have access to them and hopefully, you know, certain rights will expire. Maybe when I'm dead, I don't want anyone to have my healthcare records, or maybe I want to donate all of them to Johns Hopkins, right? But I want to be in control of that. Now that technology exists right now <laughs> and we could do it. We could implement it, right? Uh, you know, but the only issue is what about all the regulations, the HIPAA regulations? What about the, the PII, PHI, right? And all these other things. So what's really interesting and, you know, the tension I think is, really not the technology, but, you know, sort of the people and the governance and how do we ensure that, you know, we do this in a way that's um, correct. And if there's regulations that, you know, were built a long time ago and they didn't anticipate sort of non-fungible tokens and blockchains, how do we sort of craft them so that we can really unleash this technology? And so, so those are the things we're trying to get more involved down in DC and work with regulators on, you know, these issues. Um, so, so do you, you have know, a... A, a regulation that's in process or submitted a, a, a bill to, to talk about this? Where's that going? Yeah, so, yeah no, um, the Government Blockchain Association, Gerard, is down there in D.C. I'm, I, I'm getting more active to um, go. I, I'll talk to any congressperson who wants to have a conversation, whether you like Bitcoins or you hate Bitcoins. Now I'm here to <laughs> answer questions as much as possible and, you know, give you the, um, you know, just the, the, the academic view, but also the entrepreneurial view as well, right? Mm -hmm. um, I'm super excited. You know, I have two daughters and, you know, SoCat, which is our uh, technology company is named after them. You know, we're going to try to launch some NFTs. And, you know, I, I think the, we're laying down the infrastructure for, you know, their generation, right? And um, they're very excited. I mean, um, my daughter was looking at some NFTs that were generated from AI. <laughs> she uh -huh. really, really liked that. And she's like, dad, I want to do that. I want to, I want to create that. And I'm like, okay, let's, let's first, let's learn some Java and JavaScript. And learn some, <laughs> I, th I taught on Python, right? So I uh -huh. give them a little bit of a base, but really this stuff is for the next generation, right? Uh, you know, my generation was really interesting going on to Wall Street, right? Which was very centralized. Their generation is, you know, they want us, they want to have a more sort of, you know, how do we save other problems, right? Which mm -hmm. is um, like environmental problems, social economic problems and stuff like that. And I think, that's, that's, um, it's interesting. It's very interesting. And I, I think we can use this technology, you know, for good. And um, I'm, I'm not sure it, it, with regards to healthcare. Um, it, there's a lot of big players there. You know, we, I talked a little bit about, um, we try to use blockchains and smart contracts to solve the opioid crisis, right? That was happening. Um, this was uh, Wait, another. Before you get into another topic here, we're going to take a break here from our sponsors, but we want to get right back on that. We'll come back. Be right back. BlockFrame technology offers next-generation blockchain-managed trust and security. Unique non-fungible tokens are used to secure software bills of materials to provide data quality and security for every transaction in your supply chain. Deploy advanced peer-to-peer -peer product security, scale zero trust capability to millions of IoT devices, allow vendor tracking and accountability, and rapidly reset from compromise. Unchangeable, time-sequenced blockchain data provides next-generation security using machine learning trust algorithms and audit analytics. Start securing your supply chain today by contacting BlockFrame at www.blockframetech.com. 
cybersecurity.com. Welcome back to New Cyber Frontier. On today, talking to Professor Jim Liu from Johns Hopkins University. Uh, and before the break, we, we had gone on to a, a, a new direction where you were talking about, uh, and I can't... Can opioids. Opioids. Opioids, opioids and tracking. Right? Go ahead, finish on that thought. So this is a, a great, great problem to attack because it affects a lot of Americans, right? And if you look at the problem, the issue is someone's cheating. Okay, you don't know who's cheating, right? So is it the manufacturers are creating too many opioids? Is it the doctors who are prescribing? Is it the nurses? Is it the practitioners? Is it the pharmacists? Is it the individual folks who are buying these opioids, right? So there, you know, there's there's somebody who's obviously cheating the system because we're producing too many of these things, right? And so how can we use blockchains to provide transparency? And you can absolutely use blockchains to document and trans uh, sort of see the whole supply chain. The issue is, and you know, we, we went to the uh, Chamber of Digital Commerce and we, we presented this and um, you know, it, it, it was really a wonderful experience. However, you know, through that process, I, I understood how important it is to have sort of contacts at the larger organizations, right? And I think the regulators can pull this off if they really wanted to. And, you know, they thought about this and if it was um, an urgent enough problem. But I think, you know, our contribution was highlighting the problem and then getting people to start to have conversations and discussions. Right. And, um, you know, can you use the blockchains to, you know, watch these opioids go all the way from being manufactured and, you know, sort of being prescribed and distributed and also, um, you know, taken by the end users? We could. And that would provide a lot of um, transparency into this ecosystem that we know some parties are cheating. So that would be a, a great solution. However, you've got to coordinate <laughs> all the different uh, you know, stakeholders. And these stakeholders are not small and they don't really want to you know, be told what to do yeah. by a startup, right? So we, had, uh, we, we did some work early on in Colorado for tracking, so we'll just say sensitive material out here. We'd have the legalized marijuana. So you can kind of get where that was going. Um, there was two populations that almost that basically put a stop on it, and that was the users that didn't want to be tracked for some reason, some paranoia, and the the big organizations that were benefiting, uh, and they pretty much could stop any legislation going through on that. That's exactly right. The big organizations are very powerful, and they have lobbyists. They've been they know how to play this game. They've been doing it for a long time, right? And so that's you know pretty much probably like how we would have, you know, we would have, we were butting heads in, in that. They would, they would be friendly to you. They just wouldn't do anything. Right. So like literally as a startup, you know, you don't have a ton of capital and you'll just kind of burn yourself out so they can wait. Right. Um, with regards to the end users. Yeah. You, you know, uh, privacy is a big issue here, you know, and then we, we, we want to, we want to keep especially our in those communities of people that are, that are overusing, we'll say controlled substances are very conscious of the tracking issue. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and then again, it's, you know, the technology exists, right? We could use mm -hmm. the technology. The, the question is, is there, you know, an appetite for that? And, and, and you know, that, that kind of sort of, you know, goes back to this whole thing about blockchains, right? We have the technology, <laughs> we can do amazing things with it, but we need cover, you know, on top, maybe it's the regulators, I'm, I'm not sure. And it's also convincing the end users, this is actually good, you know, for you and your society and all this other stuff. So it's actually convincing the stakeholders on both both ends, right, of the supply chain. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I, I think that part of like, when I, I try to teach students is to be aware of this and try to be able to be effective, you know, given all these um, stakeholders and their constraints and so forth, right? 
I say, look, you know, unless you get buy-in from the top guys, <laughs> you're not going to do much with blockchains, right? And then you, you also have to sort of figure out how it solves a society problem for the end users will yeah. buy into. And then it, then it could work, right? I, you know, I think that's, and, and that's where cryptocurrency started. It solved the problem for the end users. And then the big banks had to deal with it later. And I think that's what, when you said the next generation looks at things differently, more of solving the social problems, that uh, distributed ledger blockchain has to, when it starts solving these new problems, has to solve them for the end user, make it valuable to them, and then the big the big entities will come to bear later when they have to. That's the only way to approach it. Is my 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 take on it. You're you're one hundred percent right, and I'll, I'll I'll leave you with one uh you know final sort of fun thing, right? So you know, I, I, Dogecoin, Floki, you know, Shiba Inu, right? Which one is a real currency for us? We're like, what is that? That's crazy stuff. But for the next generation, if they want to make it a real currency, they could, <laughs> right? So if all our, you know, the next generation, whatever it is, wants to use Doge and they all decide to use Doge and they start passing Doge around on TikTok and whatever, the, you know, the, the next generation wants to do, they could create it, make it their own, you know, currency. And if they make it their own currency as they get older and now they have more sort of, you know, assets, and of course, the regulators are going to have to come in there and do something. But that's the power of the people. And this is the power yeah. of, you know, building a lot of consensus with, you know, the, and community. And ultimately, it comes down to community, which I think is, you know, super, super interesting. It's, it's, it's we're going to see it occur in our lifetime, which is, you know, fabulous. <laughs> and, you know, um, I've been teaching here at Johns Hopkins Business School for about nine and a half years. And the first five years, I regurgitated all the stuff that I learned in, you know, graduate school at Columbia. And the last four four years, I had to reinvent myself and learn this new stuff, right? So cryptos and blockchains, machine learning and AI. So it's been really, really interesting. And I, I think we're going to have to sort of adjust how we teach even, you know, traditional finance, uh, um, you know, concepts like even corporate finance, because now there are a lot of Fortune 500 companies are more and more holding cryptos on their balance sheet, right? Yeah. So the last four years, so I've been out of academia for about the last, you know, three years almost. Um, so I have a question for you about the pandemic's influence on on what you're seeing and everything, and the and the 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 younger generation, what they're seeing, having been so influenced by this. What's the change like due to those factors kind of coming in for, in the education there? Okay. So you know, I don't think you know Zoom. Classes are ideal, but when everybody else is zooming in, then people try to make the best of it, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're very uh, resilient, you know, as human beings, right? And then we, we also try to figure out how to do work, right? And I think we're pretty, pretty effective, which says that, you know, we didn't have to sit in the office, especially in a technology company, right? And, you know, arguably some of, you know, some of these great crypto companies or blockchain companies the fact that they got to sit there and you know think in front of a screen allowed them to you know generate these things. It's not quite clear if they would have been more productive in an office <laughs> dealing mm -hmm. with you know um, office issues. But you know what, what my takeaway is um, I, I run you know SoCAD. I haven't seen some of my engineers in person in you know a year and a half, and we still are running you know pretty successfully. Mm -hmm. And don't really need that as long as there's there's uh, touch points like you know we use slack and we have stand-ups and you know we have sort of weekly meetings and so forth but you know not in person and um as long as you know we, we're still human beings and i think we long for um you know 
meeting people in person. I just went to my uh, daughter's, um, what was it? It was a concert. Like it was a, it was a, a choir and orchestra concert. And it was just amazing. I was like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been to one of these in like two years. It was, it was How did they know, rehearse for that? Did they get together to rehearse or was it all? Yeah, well, now, at least in Maryland, you know, they're having the students come on site and they, they were able to do the rehearsals and the practice and all that other stuff. But, you know, for the parents to come watch their, you know, their kids, uh-huh. like all the parents had masks on. We're all sitting in the <laughs> audience. And I was like, wow, this is a real treat. <laughs> <laughs> Things that we would have been like, oh, yeah, we got to go do that. Now we're like, wow. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, so yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think we're definitely in a, a new way. And you know, now, now that we have this other, uh, some more variants coming down the pipeline, you know, are we going to continue to do remote things? I think that's going to be in the cards for us for some time. Yeah. So kind of circling back now, we've done this a couple of times, back to the, you know, blockchain, healthcare, AI. Uh, where, where do you see the, the, the future going with this? You know, I wouldn't be surprised uh, if we get a, a lot of sort of bigger guys coordinating and trying to understand how to do the medical records interoperability. So one example is if you're a veteran out in Washington and you're going to a VA hospital, um, and now you move all the way across maybe to Maryland, right? And now you're going to another hospital here. How can you transmit that, you know, um, medical record? Now, you know, it's all in the veterans um, affairs, um, you know, ecosystem, which is one of the largest healthcare systems in the U.S. But, you know, how do you move those things around uh, successfully or efficiently? And I, I think blockchains has um, a possible solution. And, you know, I think NFTs could be very interesting. And I think, you know, the technology of wallets in order to figure out who's, um, you know, who owns these uh, medical records and then permissioning using some smart contracts of, you know, maybe uh, allowing only, you know, these physicians to see, you know, your medical records. I think that's all possible and it could solve one of these really uh, difficult problems about sort of moving these medical records around. Um, Interoperability is really interesting uh, just because so at the end of if, the day, it's all digital information, yeah. right? Right. But, you know, I would, I would ask, so a lot of times, you know, we just got done talking about how that blockchain and all the things that have worked have been developed from the ground up, a small startup that made it happen because it was interested and valuable to the individuals. But you just turned around and said, maybe a big company will get together. It seems like that we're hoping for something there, knowing that large companies and large organizations don't usually innovate very well. And the startups usually come from that. And then are, if they are brought into a large companies because they were bought and brought in, it seems like we're, you know, you're, we're wishing for something. I'll, that yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll give you a four. I'll give you a four example, right? In, in the best case scenario, we get a few senators and Congress people who are influential and they mandate this use of, you know, blockchains for interoperability of medical or healthcare records, right? Mm-hmm. And thereby solving the problem, but giving, you know, um, agencies, you know, broad latitude in order to sort of pursue this technology, right? Um, the, the one example in, in sort of against cryptocurrencies is like um, central bank digital currency, right? And so if that becomes down the pipeline, then we could see a real interesting integration between the digital dollar and cryptocurrencies. I think that, you know, we probably need um, for healthcare, maybe HHS, maybe it's the VA, I'm not sure. 
but um, you know, they need some cover from Congress <laughs> and they need mm -hmm. some sort of a little bit of a nudge and say, yes, go do this, right? And then I think we could execute that. Clearly, there's a lot of tech companies that can come in there and help build that and as well as large um, technology companies, right? Um, so, you know, I, I, that, that it takes vision, it takes leadership. You know, I, yeah. I think that if I tried to change <laughs> a large healthcare organ institution, like even Johns Hopkins, if I say, hey, let's put all the, you know, healthcare records, you know, on the blockchain, it would just be way too difficult, right? So here's an example where you you definitely need all the stakeholders to buy in. Yeah. Um, or you know, I, I think once again, a a smaller startup that has the 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 offers the the distributed value to the end users, and then it comes up and becomes adopted by the large organizations. I still think is relevant from that that previous discussion. So that's the only way it really works. Yeah, you're all about the bottom up. You, you, you're, you're, you don't, you think that this has to start at the bottom and then move up. No, I, I actually, yeah. I mean, have you, have you heard of the legislation in Colorado about blockchain, distributed ledger? So the state has actually mandated use of it for programs oh, and analysis wow. of it. So yeah, myself, I wrote the technical part of that. Uh, Kent Lambert, who was my COO now was a Senator then passed it through Colorado and the whole state is, is engaging with this. It's just not really happening in a timeline flat fast. Let's put it that way. Uh, so <laughs> well, I, you know, I think this, uh, it's when you when you talk about that, that legislative interest, I've seen it there and I've seen it there in Colorado, but it's still, they can wish it all they want. It has to come from the ground up to make it possible. But you allowed some space there for entrepreneurs in Colorado to sort of build things, which is yeah, great. If you're not I'm familiar with that, read, read up on that. It's uh Senate bill 18 dash 86 in 2018. So kind of That's a lot right. of this got kind of put on back burner through the pandemic, but uh, the interest is still there and the requirement for the state of Colorado. Interesting. That's excellent. Um, you know, Wyoming's doing some great stuff. Colorado through you. I think you guys are doing some amazing things, right? I, yeah. yeah. I, I'm not as familiar with, you know, what, what states are doing. Um, I'm more sort of, you know, looking down you know, in DC at the Capitol. Um, and, I know, know I'd love to see a DC, DC approach to it, but I think, um, you know, that's, they're fighting in the fintech space. How can we make money and tax it? <laughs> exactly. Well, you have Gary Gensler at the SEC and, you know, you have the, the folks at the CFTC and, you know, Gary Gensler was teaching, you know, money and cryptos and, or blockchains course at MIT. So he knows this stuff and he was a partner at Goldman Sachs. So, you know, he, he gets, he gets what's going on, but, you know, at the same time, I do think the rails guardrails have to be set down and, you know, um, I think transparency is important. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, I'm more of like author Levitt, where you educate investors <laughs> and mm -hmm. you make people use language that everybody can understand. I think that's the most powerful way for people to avoid being scammed, right, is just educate them on, you know, what are best practices if you're going to make um, investments or you're going to evaluate sort of, you know, some of these projects in the crypto yeah. space. Um, yeah, well, that's just kind of running out of our time here, but uh, as we're closing out. Uh, anything that you'd like our audience to know that they can get involved with or ways that they can reach out to you, things you could, you, you offer any shout outs you want to give, you can do it this time. No, ab absolutely. I mean, if you have an interesting blockchain uh, project, you know, feel free to, you know, run some things by me. I'm on LinkedIn. And, you know, if you're an entrepreneur who has a really interesting story, we're always looking for, you know, good speakers to bring into the class. Um, you know, we're going to have somebody from the West, I think it's San Francisco, talking about NFTs. 
And, um, you know, I think NFTs is more on the West Coast. We see a little bit on the East Coast, but I think you guys are having much more excitement out there. Um, but, you know, <laughs> other than that, no, it's great. Christopher, very nice to meet you. If you're ever in Baltimore, come, come by and maybe you can give a, a guest lecture and I'll buy you a cup of coffee. <laughs> all right. Uh, you're on all for that coffee. I'm telling you. All right. Well, thanks. Thanks for joining today, Jim. And uh, you heard it here on New Cyber Frontier. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of New Cyber Frontier. Remember to get involved. Often we think that someone else will handle privacy and security in the virtual world, but you are the only one truly in command of your virtual fate. Join our mailing list so we can keep you informed of breaking news and new releases. If you have an idea, if you have a question that you would like to hear answered, or if you want to get involved with our efforts, reach out to us at newcyberfrontier.com. We also encourage you to visit our sponsors' links as they are the ones that really make this show possible. I want to thank each of you for supporting the show, and we look forward to seeing you back for the next episode of New Cyber Frontier.